Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, Mark here, and welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, we have a very interesting guest on the show. His name is Nigel Moore, and he's going to talk to us about SOPs, that is Standard Operating Procedures. In his previous company, they created over 1,000 of these documents, really documenting everything they, they did along the way. And they use this to improve every aspect of their business from efficiency all the way through to customer service. And this essentially enabled his business to run without him. And eventually, even he was able to sell it and get a very favorable deal in the process. Now, many authority site owners, myself included, want to free up their time as their site grows so they can focus on high-value activities. So if that's you, then pay especially close attention to this episode as there is some really good practical advice here from someone who has done this a lot. You can find the show notes for today's episode over at authorityhacker.com forward slash SOP. That's three letters, S-O-P. So without further ado, here's the interview. Hey, Nigel, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. How is sunny Australia? Sunny Australia is just starting, we're just getting to the end of our winter. So um, this week there's been, I think, about one and a half meters of snow dumped down in our snow fields. And um, we're sort of headed down that way on the weekend. So we're going to get the, the cold sunny Australia. Oh, wow. I'm actually heading down there or over there rather in December this year. So I'm hoping for some sunshine to escape the, the European winter. You will get our beach time perfectly. <laughs> they, they will be packed though. Yeah. A Christmas on the beach with a beer and a Santa hat is what, what I kind of have in mind. <laughs> so, yeah. I think I'm swapping this year and I'm going to do the white Christmas over in France this year, which will be our first time being in or my first time being in the cold for Christmas. It's nice once or twice, but it kind of gets a bit, bit, bit <laughs> samey after a while, I must say. I've got to admit, I much prefer to be surfing than snowboarding over Christmas. I love both, but surfing is my, my true passion. Awesome, awesome. So, listen, we met at uh, the DC event, DCBKK, last year in October, and it was quite an interesting breakout session, the, the first one we were at. I think it was on the, the membership sites session, and I, I specifically remember there was two or three people in that meeting that when they said something, I think this guy knows what you're talking about. I need to talk to him some more. And actually one of the other guys, Miles, who you, you probably remember. Yeah, I was well. just about to say Miles was the other guy that you're going to yeah. mention. I actually had him on the podcast uh, two or three months ago as well. And it was, oh, it, was good. it was great as well. So I'm really yeah, looking forward good to things. this one. Yeah, super smart guy. Really interesting to talk to you as well. Love his can-do attitude about life. <laughs> Just get stuff done. Yeah, exactly. So I was actually listening to, you're on Chris Reynolds' podcast, The the Entrepreneur House, yes. a while back as well. So I was listening to that and something really stood out for me there. You mentioned that in your previous company, you had 1,100, 1,100 SOPs, <laughs> documents. And I thought, that is crazy. At a push, maybe I've done five or six over the last seven years. So clearly, <laughs> there's a gap here. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to this one today, and I hope I can learn a lot from you as Very we, go, good. As we I, go through this. I should preface that, that last little bit, that that 1,100 thing was made up of 1,100 entries. And so an entry could be something like how we quoted a particular piece of equipment, how we received a check, for instance, from clients if they paid by check and whatnot. So it wasn't, they weren't, some of them weren't lengthy SOPs, but it was literally still about 1,100 entries inside this system that all served some sort of purpose for what we were doing in the business. That's awesome. That's crazy as well to think of that, that, that number <laughs> as well. 
Okay, so let's start by a simple question. What is an SOP? How do you define it? So SOP stands for it's Standard Operating Procedure. Essentially, it's just a, a document or a checklist or an outline of how you perform a particular function in a business. And typically, they form part of a bigger ecosystem, which might be your manual or your company manual or your company. We called it our, our company brains. It was sort of the brains behind our business. But each individual SOP is typically some sort of checklist or process or, or something to follow that guides you through how to do something in the business. Like if you're at McDonald's, it's how you cook a serving of chips, for instance. There's 8, 10, 15 steps that they take to do that. There would be an SOP for how to do those chips. And there would be an SOP for how to store those chips. And there'd be an SOP for how to purchase those chips. Um, yeah, and so on. I've heard a uh, McDonald's, especially, they're really into this whole brand consistency thing. So you go to a McDonald's in Singapore and you go to a McDonald's in France, it's more or less the same experience down to sort of the way they fold the bag towards you when you Correct. take a, a takeaway versus towards them. It's always the same everywhere. That's sort of Correct. the level of detail. Is that the level of detail you, you guys went into in your previous business? We weren't at that level of detail. I'd say we were probably even probably only 30 to 40% of that level of detail in our business. We were an IT support company, which has a lot of moving parts. Um, we had maybe 20 different vendors that we represented and 150 or different clients that we worked for. So there was a lot of moving parts and it was impossible to document everything in there. And so we documented most of the regular processes that we had in the business, but there were still lots and lots of little things that, that we just had to document on a sort of higher level as to how we approach that thing, but not the exact individual steps because it would have been too hard for us. Sure. Okay, to take a step back a bit, why would a business want to use an SOP or to create SOP documents? Yeah, so I've got a, like in our business, we had a, it was a bit of a process to get our, our team on board with it because um, when I first started out, I went, look, I know I want to build the business to scale and I know I want to be able to do amazing things for our clients. And to do that, I, I need to do documentation. We need to, to systemize our business. But to try and get our team on board was a little bit hard because they were they were in the day-to-day -day kind of thing. They were working really hard. They were doing their job and they were doing an amazing job. It was hard to then try and bring another element of work into the business to say, hey, you also now have to go and document this business. So one of the things as I was going through this process trying to figure out how we get better at doing it is I read this book called The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. He talks about a story of, I think it was, and I'm paraphrasing here, so I'll probably get the entire story completely incorrect, but... <laughs> The premise of it is what matters is that there was one of the plane companies was building a plane just before or during the Second World War. And they were building a plane like an Air Force plane to, to go and fight in the war. And they were doing some of the test flights of the plane. And and obviously back in, in that time, in the, the, the mid 40s, I guess it was, flights weren't what they are nowadays, what we expect a flight to be nowadays. And so they were they were building this amazing new plane and they were running it through all of its tests. And during one of the tests, it took off and crashed and burned. And they spent months and months and months trying to figure out what the cause was and why why this particular thing crashed and what happened. And ultimately, it came down to that the plane was just too much plane for one person to be able to manage without a checklist. And that was the sort of pivotal point in flying, where flying changed from being this thing that a pilot could just jump in a plane and do without having some sort of checklist or process or manual to follow to being too complex for the human brain to understand because we had all this technology starting to come into flying that they then had to make that leap into not relying on just the pilot alone. They had to rely on having extra checklists and extra whatever. And it, it came down to that he'd, he'd missed a certain step in the pre-flight checklist that because there were so many steps in it now, it was not possible for the human brain to, to try and remember all of those steps. And we were sort of at that point where they needed to implement it. And so I took that story to our business and um, and said, guys, we're sort of at that same point as well. Back 
five, 10 years ago in our business, it was pretty easy to, to set up an IT system in a company because we only had one vendor and we only had one way of doing things and everybody worked with a Microsoft server. Nowadays, we've got all these different vendors and all these different platforms and whatnot. And it's beyond our, as much as we're smart people and as much as we're technical people, it's beyond our brain's level to be able to try and keep all that stuff inside our heads now. And so we have to go through this process to get all of that basic stuff out of our heads into checklists so that then we can free up our thinking to move into more higher level thinking and ways that we can then improve our processes or impress our clients more or provide a better service and whatnot. And so that was, to us, that was our reason why we wanted to create an amazing product or an amazing service to our clients and an amazing experience to our clients. But because we'd gone past that kind of point where we could do it without checklists, we weren't able to. And so we went through that process and and over, I'm not going to say it happened overnight, it happened over a couple of years, but over a couple of years, we really, really started to see the benefits of that. That's If that helps you out, give you a bit of the background as to why these things are so important in the business. Yeah, it's a really good example, actually. Uh, I was actually watching the TV show Air Crash Investigation fairly <laughs> recently, and I remember this thing about checklists coming up, and it was like a, a Qantas A380 or something. It was fine at the end of the day, but they there was some problem with the engine, and it generated like 110 checklist items that they had to, to go through. <laughs> the, the computer did it all, but they had to go through it manually one yeah. by one, and it kind of got me thinking just when you brought it up there is that it, not only is it forcing or encouraging you to remember things and do it in a, a certain way, but I guess it's also forcing the designers to think, okay, how should this process actually be done? If this happens, what do we do? If this and this happens, what do we do? And I've noticed in, in, in my business, not that I've done many SOPs, but just in the few few that, that I have done, it always sort of forces forces me to think through the process in a more logical way, kind of like when you have to teach someone something, you can kind of internalize it more and improve it more than if you're just sort of doing it yourself. Yeah, um, absolutely. And to, to drill a little bit further into that point, the biggest thing that it did for us was once we got the basics out of our head and we'd, we'd designed those processes, and I'll give you a good example. We were an IT support company, so we used to set up a lot of computers for clients. And we... Originally, because there was maybe 20 steps at rolling out a computer to get started, which is in a fairly standard way, we used to just go and do them out of our head. So five years ago, we were doing that process in our heads. Then we started going, once we then went through this process of deciding that we needed to take checklists for everything, we then checklisted that that procedure. But once we got all that stuff out of our, our heads, all the basics out of our heads, and we had our process for, okay, these are the 20 or 30 steps we have to go through to roll out a new computer for a client, and then freed up our thinking to then go, okay, well, how can we actually make this experience amazing for a client? Not just good, not just they're getting a new computer. What steps can we now put in there to make it so that they've got a really, really cool experience that they're going to go and tell their friends about? And so then we were able to, to come up with, and this might seem trivial, but it's and it's a really minor point, but we came up with an idea of every single time we roll out a computer now, Step number 27 of it is to do a little handwritten note on some company branded cards that we had written out saying, hey, here's your new computer. We really hope you enjoy it. Reach out to us here if, if you ever need any help in getting it going. And we attached a little chocolate to that. And we put it on the desks every time we rolled out a new computer. It may seem trivial. It's a simple thing to come up with, but we just couldn't think at that kind of level when we were too busy in the weeds trying to remember to make sure that we got all the other things done, like install their printer drivers and their antivirus each time. Yeah, no. and that was the, the biggest point for us. It's not trivial at all, actually. Those kind of like finishing or extra touches uh, really show that your company is going the, the kind of extra mile in terms of service. And, you know, hotels do a lot, that a lot with the sort of the chocolate on the pillow kind of thing. Correct, um, yeah. But I, I think it's absolutely right that uh, it's very difficult to sort of 
take a step back and look at a process you're doing and look for those kind of extra improvements when you're so kind of caught up in it. It's only when you have it written down, you can kind of stop thinking about it too much and look at point 26 and say, oh, well, how can we improve this, this, this step? Yeah, um, yeah. One of the things we used to do on that was a good documentation setup or SOP setup or whatever you want to call it. Really, it's comes down to having it embedded in your culture because it can't be a top-down approach. It can't be that just you as the business owner or whatever are the only people creating documentation because it means that you're going to be overloaded and you're not going to get it done. So we had to, it was a ground, like a grassroots kind of thing in our business. We had to all be on in on it. And so we had to bring the entire team in and we had to enable the entire team to be able to go and create these processes and edit these processes and update these processes and improve these processes as they went. And we had to make it so that they were they knew that they could do it and they they loved doing it and they understood the reasoning why and and whatnot. And that really helped us in the process as well as instead of just us giving them the documents and saying, this is how you have to do it every single time, we really got the whole team engaged in how to build a process and why we're doing it and letting them actually be a part of the process themselves. Okay. And just on that point then, when you went from a business with zero or with few SOPs to one that was kind of really had that embedded in your, your culture, how did you begin that transition? How did you initially get, get people to sort of buy into that when they're sort of typically already quite busy in their, in their jobs? Bribery. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not lying. To kickstart it. So there's a couple of routes to kickstart it. The first time when I was trying to put processes in, I was trying to do it from that top-down approach. And I'd be going to the team and saying, hey, guys, we have to do this. We have to do this. And we're doing it this way. And we're doing it this way. And it sort of started working a little bit, but not great. And I sat down and I thought, how am I going to get our guys really engaged in the process? And I, I was reading a little bit about different ways of, of promoting team engagement and whatnot. And one of the things was get them involved in the actual creation of the process. And so we sat down and we went, I sat down with the guys and I said, okay, guys, we're all problem solvers. Like you guys are incredible problem solvers. You're solving all these amazing problems for our clients, but we've got a problem right now in that our documentation is not very good. How can we solve this as a team? And so we, we jumped down and we all worked together. We had a couple of meetings where we, we sat down, we had the big whiteboard out in front of us and we all figured it out together how we as a team felt it should happen. And I had my way that I thought it should be. That actually changed with the input from our team because they had some some different ideas because they were the guys ultimately doing they were on the coal face doing the work and so what, what once were I those had them, different ideas that they had ways that they wanted to structure it especially mostly around ways they wanted to structure it I thought I saw it one particular way and that we had to do it using this system during doing this way they all saw it a slightly different way to me and so we structured it their way and I gave them a bit of free reign I still like I still had saw some bigger picture things in terms of how I wanted it to fit inside inside the business so I had to. I had to override a couple of things, but ultimately they, um, a couple of the guys came up with how they wanted it structured and how we thought it would be structured. And I was in those meetings as well, and we all worked together on it. And ultimately they came up with a pretty, pretty good thing with, because I had them help solve the problem. And for us, that was a problem. Documentation wasn't great. And because I had my team come in and solve it with us, we ultimately got it to the point where they were a whole lot more engaged in it. However, that was just to get the first part started. The second part where I talk about bribery, one of the things that we did was, we went out and purchased movie tickets, just books of movie tickets for our guys. And whenever one of the guys or girls did a really great job at either documenting something really well or improving a document or something, we'd make a, a case of going and giving them a couple of movie tickets in front of everybody to say, hey, just well done on that kind of improving that little part there. It's really going to help us get to the next level here or there or whatever. And we didn't do that. We still kept that going all the time. And it was just the documentation part of it, so rewarding, I guess, on good documentation, which is one of the things we used to reward on. But it just sort of helped people go, yeah, I'm actually like, 
I'm creating something good for the company, so I understand the reason why, and I'm getting a thank you for it. So it just gives me a little bit more incentive. And the other guys would see someone else getting thanked for it as well and go, oh, yeah, like if I do something as well, maybe I'll get a little thank you here and there as so well. Do, and you, that do you think sort of the fact that it was priority. public, do you think the fact that it was like a public thank you really helped that that as opposed to just giving it to them privately? I believe so, yeah. yeah. I'm a bit of a fan of praising people in public as much as I can. Admit I'm certainly not the best at it. I've been learning over the years, but I think whenever I'm giving someone good feedback, I try to do it in front of other people and I try to make it fair as well, which um, you've got to try and you don't want to be just saying, hey, Joe Bloggs, you've done a great job and you're just telling Joe Bloggs that they've done great jobs all the time when everyone else misses out. So you've got to try and, you've got to try and weigh up that balance there. We also had private catch-ups with all of our guys every month typically where we also went a little bit deeper into the the what they did well and maybe if there's some areas for improvement and whatnot I but, mean, um, but it, i really like the, the public kind of public praise for us it's a i'm a firm believer in it okay that's great and for the initial sort of batch of sops when you were sort of just start starting to get this going like let's say the first 50 or the first 100 were you like how much of that were you directly involved in creating or was it the case of you would create this framework, give it to a member of staff, they would create the SOP and you would review it or well, like how, how uh, the first 50, I'm probably a, a bit of a control freak. So the first 50, I was probably 95% involved. It took me a little bit of time to get comfortable with, with stepping back a little bit, knowing that the guys would do it to the kind of level that I wanted as well. And that was me getting comfortable with setting the right expectations and setting how they should be and whatnot. And, they, and the first SOP that I ever created was how to create SOPs. That was our first one. I wanted to sort of set those frameworks in the first place. But I also did it in a very lead from example kind of a place. So I was always the one that that wrote the most out of all of us, especially in the initial stages. I I think for the first six to nine months, I probably wrote 80% of them until we got past that kind of bump where everybody else came on board. I think that's quite a good way of doing it, though. It's kind of you do it yourself and then you figure out how you do it. And then that makes it much easier to sort of manage the process later on when you kind of kind of scale it. One question yeah, I right. did one question I did have. So you said at the start you created an SOP for how to, or a framework for how to create SOPs. How often did that change as you grew and as you as you wrote more and as you created more SOPs? It morphed a little bit. Not a lot, though. And to be honest, we when we got to a certain point, and this is probably something looking in hindsight now, it's probably an area we could have improved on. We didn't follow it to the T once we got to a certain point because we were sort of in this role of just creating SOPs in a way that just worked for the person following them. And sometimes that meant we didn't follow the SOP for how to create SOPs. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of morphed to a degree in that, okay, now when you create one, we should put it in this particular area or whatever. We weren't amazing at that particular point. Okay. And in other scenarios, did you find yourself deviating from, uh, or when you found yourself deviating from what's in the initial SOP, were you guys pretty good at sort of updating them? Or how did you no. make sure everything was relevant? <laughs> okay. We didn't. Um, because I guess you've got you to gotta always weigh up how deep you go into strict structures and frameworks versus how far you go into just making sure that there's something there that people can follow. You've got to find a, a balance. And I guess for us, the balance was kind of, we had these loose frameworks that everything needed to try and operate in. And we had a loose, we had a pretty good, it wasn't a loose structure. It was a pretty tight structure as to how things should be organized. And for us, as long as it fit within those higher level structures, the actual structure of the SOP itself, we didn't focus that much on. It was more as long as the outcome from someone running through it 
was going to get them the result that we needed. That was ultimately what it was about to us. And so a clear example of that would be our initial way for how to create an SOP was that we always needed to have a why thing at the beginning, like why are we doing this SOP and and whatnot. And ultimately over time, that step sort of disappeared because people just like if there's a step in our process as to how to receive a check from a client, for instance, sometimes you don't need to write that whole big why paragraph out because you know that you've got a check from a client we need to receive. We don't need to be told why we need to receive a check from a client, for instance. And so that kind of step and it got missed. Okay, great. And what can you SOP and what can you not SOP? Is there is there any difference there? Are there any areas that you would definitely oh, yeah. avoid avoid making SOPs for? This is a very good discussion that, that Atulga one day runs through in that checklist manifesto book when it comes to the operating theaters, like when people are when doctors and surgeons are operating, what should be part of the checklist and what shouldn't. And for us in our business, we sort of set it because we're an IT support company, so we have a lot of different issues. And so we would have a process around how we deal with an issue, not how to solve that particular issue, because there's we could sometimes have 5,000 different issues in a year that we deal with. And so it was impossible to document how to deal with every one of those issues, but it was possible to document how we dealt with dealing with an issue, if that makes sense. It might sound a little bit meta, but... um. Okay. So can you give us an example of that in practice? So... For us, our day-to-day work was running tickets. So a client would send us a ticket and we'd a ticket might be something like my Microsoft Outlook is not working, for instance. Okay. So the way that we run a ticket, such as we open a ticket up, we assign its priority, we assign its severity, we assign an agreement to it, we schedule it to a particular tech, we add this in the notes of it, we type track time this way, all of that stuff was documented, but not how to solve that particular Outlook issue. Because that particular outlook issue, we could typically solve by going to Google and figuring out what the answer is. Okay. Does that help delineate the difference between the two? Yeah, sure. I guess it's uh, if, if we go back to the McDonald's example but before we, we, we use at the start, I guess in their business, you know, every single thing you're doing, you know, it's almost like teaching a robot how to do something. But I guess Correct, in, in yeah. your business and probably most for most people listening to this show, their businesses are a probably a lot more complex and, and, and B that they, they don't have the scale to sort of go go into that that depth. It's more Absolutely. a case of and you're still hiring good people and you're sort of training them up and they're they have that that innate knowledge and, and skill and capability. It's just giving them a sort of like framework for how to approach the problem as opposed to click here, then do this, then do this, then type this. Exactly way right. Of solving yeah. it, yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense mm. then. Okay, so let's move on then. What should someone include in their SOP documentation? Like, do you have a talk us through your checklist of what of what you include in in, in yours? So, to give you the example of that new computer installation checklist, we started off with uh, why do we do this? Which is quite simple. We do this because we want to give clients an amazing experience when they get a new machine. Then for us, it was just literally checkboxes next to the 30-odd steps that were in that that checklist. And some of those checkboxes referenced other checklists in that there might be a, a certain thing with, if we've got to add a user, for instance, for that particular client, then we'd have a different checklist for how to add a user for that particular client. And so each step in there, we would put in enough detail in there for there to be no ambiguity. And so that quite often meant that we'd have to put an image in there, so a little screenshot or whatnot. And there's some cool tools that you can easily do, screenshots and annotations and arrows and highlights and whatever. And so quite often it would include a screenshot in there. And it, essentially it was just that. It was 20, 30 steps or whatever that particular checklist included in it with some screenshots, with some pictures, with a bit of a why up the top and a link to any other checklist that were part of that particular one. 
Okay. How did you go about actually like storing this? Uh, I mean, were these all Word documents? Were you did you have it in Google Drive? Did you use some kind of software to manage it? How did you control like the hierarchy of it? Like, what was the organization system like? We used a tool called Confluence, which is like Wikipedia. It's a wiki tool. We had three areas in there, and that was sort of based on the three areas of our business. One area was our our finance and operations part, and within there, we then broke it down into the areas. So we had accounting under one area. We had procurement. We used to buy and sell a lot of uh, products. So we had a procurement area. And then as you broke them further down, you'd be able to see all the different checklists that made up that particular area. And for instance, one of our roles in our business was a sales admin role, which this person every day did our quoting for all of our clients, as well as did the ordering of those particular signed off quotes from the suppliers and sent it all out to our clients and whatnot. And so there, there was a sales admin area inside the, the finance and admin section of our business, inside of our confluence. And they had a, a daily tasks SOP, which the sales admin had 12 or 15 tasks that had to happen every single day in order. And so that, that SOP was literally just a link to the 12 other SOPs that they had to go through for each of those 12 steps. So the first step might be go and process all the back order reports, which then linked off to an SOP that said, this is how you process back order reports. The second step might be, go and reconcile the accounting system, which then linked off to another SOP that said these are the steps to follow to go on and do the accounting system. So that person every day could could walk up to to their desk and just glance down that that checklist and follow through everything, knowing that they've got through their 40 or 50 tasks that they needed to for the day. And that role, for instance, was a very, very transactional role. There wasn't a lot of scope in there to be able to, like it wasn't a troubleshooting role where we're going to try and solve problems. It was a very transactional role. And so it worked, that area worked really, really well for our checklists in that 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 person's day was completely locked out in terms of this is exactly how to go through it. So and, um, the other, sorry, you go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the other two areas that we had was we had a client area and in the client area, we had all of our clients listed. And then underneath each client, we had, I think there was three areas. One was client specific issues. And underneath that, we had individual SOPs for any type of specific issues. Then we had client specific checklists, which um, if the, for adding a new user for that particular client, we had to go through a certain set of steps that would be processed in there. And then we had client documentation, which was the third area inside that client's area. And then our third area, our third sort of space, you call it in Confluence, was our service delivery area, which is where all those global checklists existed for the way we provided our service to our clients, like our new computer setup or our whatever it is, new router installation or new printer installation or whatnot. And you mentioned this, you sort of had client-specific issues set of SOPs. Like, how did you decide when an issue, like, did it have to occur X number of times before you'd create an SOP for it? Or just as as soon as an issue occurred, you'd do it? Our goal was to try and do it all the time, just in case that problem ever happened again. It saved the next tech maybe half an hour, an hour, or two hours of troubleshooting to try and find the issue. And so even if it was literally just a SOP that just said, for instance, this client's getting this error on their server. And if they've only ever had it once, then we'd still go and create that SOP saying error this on server. And it would say, go and have a look at this support ticket because we've had this issue before. And that's the process to go through to, to troubleshoot it. The sort of loose rule that we had in our business, and and we, we certainly didn't stick to it 100%, was at any one time, you should either be creating an SOP, editing an SOP, or following an SOP. And that was the sort of the loose kind of framework we had around going about our day-to-day kind of thing. That makes a lot of sense then. What percentage of the time would you say people as a whole were actually adhering to those three those three guidelines? 
I'd probably say 60, 60 to 70%. We were so nowhere, we were far from perfect, but you'd, no one ever is. No one will sure. ever be perfect in this kind of thing. And I'd say we're probably 60 to 70% good in that kind of thing. The good thing about that is like we were able to build this system of 1,100 or so entries in this system after a two-year period of doing it by not being great at it, by only doing it 60 to 70% of the time. But it was the regular doing it that that really helped. And so if I can encourage people out there, you don't have to be amazing at it. We certainly weren't, but we still had an amazing product at the end of two years. It's just that continual regular improvement is what gets there, not trying to, to eat an elephant in one go right up the front. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I think I suffer from this a lot. I, I try and do things sort of too perfect in a way and often at the expense of actually just sort of getting getting it done and getting it going. I think this is definitely one of those cases where you can, you know, just starting it and even even if it's not perfect, you can sort of iterate on it for, further down the line. And I guess it's one of those things that the more you do it, the more you learn how to do it well and, you know, in future your your SOPs will be, be a lot better than the, the, the first right. few that you create as well. Exactly. Um, Okay, that's great. And were they always text or did you do like videos and stuff like that as well? There was a few videos in there for more complex things. I used to record a couple of videos. We had some pretty complex processes in our business in terms of how we structured particular quotes that were project-based quotes because there was some complex software that we used to use. And so instead of writing a half an hour document on how to manage that process, I just went and recorded a, a six-minute video showing people through it. And it saved me 23 minutes, which I could go and put somewhere else in the business. And it showed showed people pretty easily how to go and follow the process then and so video was was quite helpful but we didn't do tons of it but the ones that we did do worked really really well does the software you mentioned was it confluence was that the name of it confluence was the wiki software yeah that didn't do the videos okay so we used to use jing for videos okay and then i guess um, just link to them from there correct and jing and and all of those things you can upload to either a youtube like a private youtube thing or whatever you end up using there's i think Snagit is another one yeah, that's um, what I use. Pretty good, actually. Right. Yeah, good. Loom is another one that's just come out at the moment that helps you do those sort of five-minute videos. And then we just link them straight inside the SOP. Awesome. Okay. So how did you actually go about improving your SOPs once you had created them? Like, was there a framework or like a, any kind of guidelines for you guys to say, okay, this needs to be improved on. Let's go back and, and fix it or let's go back and improve on it. Or, or how do you go about doing that? For our bigger very important checklists like our um, like our new computer one because it was such a common checklist. We typically did that as a group or even just as a couple of us. We'd sit down and go, okay, well, we're just running through this step now. Let's just throw these two steps in there to improve it. And so that was a formalized kind of improvement process. But for most, our it was more a culture thing of as you're going through a, a checklist, figure out is there any way that you can improve this checklist? That was sort of a, an underlying culture thing that we had in the business figure out yourself, is there some little step that you can put in there or some little way that you can improve it in line with our company vision and for providing our customers a better service. And so it was more the onus was on everybody to go and do it rather than having a formalized process around it. We did that formalized thing for the bigger ones, but for the smaller everyday ones, it was kind of a, as you go through it, if you see an opportunity to improve it, please do. And did people sort of say, hey, I've now updated this SOP, can you check it? Or was there, was there some way that you were kind of monitoring what was being updated? No, for so for us... We had a like we deal with security a little bit as well, and so we had to be careful around some of our security management. So things like how we store passwords and stuff like that, those sort of processes couldn't be updated because that was sort of something that we had to keep pretty tight because of password management. We we would track thousands of passwords for clients, but for anything else, 
we just trusted our team to do the right thing for the company. And if we couldn't trust our team, then we'd hired the wrong people was the way I saw it. Okay. And we could trust our team. So if someone went and updated something in a, in a document that I would trust that they were doing it for the greater good of the company. And every now and then someone might put something in there that wasn't great, but, or, or maybe didn't line up, but it wasn't about making them feel bad about it. It was more about, okay, well, how can we improve on that next time so that that doesn't happen? Like I didn't ever want to stifle them having being able to go and do it. I wanted everybody to be able to feel that they can go and improve every step of our business because we had a, a great team of people and I wanted them to to help us. I trusted them to help us improve the company. Every now and then, like I, I sort of erred on the side of, I prefer that versus erring on the side of having to triple check everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how did you communicate that? Or how did you get new hires who came in sort of after you had this process established to, first of all, like understand it and then buy into it in, in, in that way? Or was it like, you know, hey, this is part of your job, you have to do this? Or Once we started it, we only had one new hire come in afterwards, which was our operations manager. We had, when we started the process, like we had very little churn with customers, uh, sorry, with customers as well as staff. And so after we started this process, only one new person joined the company as the operations manager, and she had that ethos already completely down pat, and she led, she just dived right into the same sort of culture as we had, that everything needed to be documented, and she understood, and that was part of our hiring process, was trying to find the right person that could understand that. So there wasn't really a, we never really went through an onboarding or a, a new, trying to train up a new person to the way we do it, because the only person that we did hire after that jumped straight into the role and already was good at it. Um, okay. However, I do suspect that other people, like you will come across that problem with other people. And it's all about that whole kind of teaching them the reasons why and trying to maybe maybe part of your client or your new user or new staff member onboarding is teaching them about the why and telling them the story and the analogies and why you actually do this stuff and then sitting down and maybe running through a bit of a framework for how to do it. And one way that you can really work with this is the the three-step process. When you're going through teaching someone how to manage your SOPs, the first time you go through it together, but you do it. The second time you go through it together, but they do it. And then the third time you just let them go through it themselves and come back to you if they need any feedback. So that's a really interesting point, actually. I have, when I was, we, we brought in someone to do some of our sort of link building response, like a, almost a like customer communication management. And that's exactly the process I did for, for teaching. We didn't have any documents, but I would go through it with them watching me do it then i would watch them do it then i would let them yep. them do it kind of like almost one week at a time right yeah. good. the other thing i was going to say is and- it's probably quite beneficial for the new hires themselves to see all these sops going into an organization especially a complex one that's changing a lot can be quite difficult to just kind of get a feel for what's happening and what they should be doing and what they should not be doing. So I guess having those SOPs there is, is probably actually really kind of beneficial to them coming in, you know, on day one and they can look through them and if they're stuck, they can always go back to there. So it's probably an argument to be said that, you know, but just by having those, they'll probably initially feel a lot of value from them and then that, that'll help them to buy into the process as well. Yeah, correct. Correct. And just on that point of that you mentioned where you run through with like when you were running through with your new hire, how to go through the process, that's also a good way to be able to get these processes built without you having to do it. And so we used to do that a little bit where I'd, I knew the, the process, but I didn't want to have to document the process out because my time was probably better spent on strategy or meeting new clients or whatever. And so I'd sit with one of our guys and I'd go through the process and they would record it over a Skype call or whatever, and then they would go and document it. And they could then give it back to me for for feedback. And this was for more the more complex kind of processes. 
especially in our operation side of the business where we had a whole pile of systems that were all intertwined and doing things. And so that process where we just sat down, we jumped on a Skype call or a Zoom call together, ran through the process, they recorded it, and then they went away and did the documentation based on our call. That okay. really, really helped. That makes sense. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've made when creating SOPs? Oh, good question. Not getting the team involved in the problem. That was probably my biggest mistake is me trying to tell people how to do it, not come to them and say, hey, how can we do it better? And once I shifted it around to getting the team involved in it, that that really changed things around. I'd say that was by far my biggest mistake in it. Is that, that kind of the idea that the the people on the floor doing the day-to-day work are probably most close to the problem and have most insight into Correct. Uh, solu- solutions? That's, yeah, I, th- I think I remember that, as that well from as... Uh, university, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we had smart guys in our business. All, all our guys were smart cookies. And trying to go to them and tell them how to do something is not how our guys typically worked. Whereas if we went to them and said, hey, let's solve this problem together, then they're part of the solution. They've created the solution as well. And so they're much more engaged in whatever it is because they've been a part of it rather than being barked orders at for how to do it because they weren't that kind of people. They were they were smart, intelligent, highly high problem-solving guys and girls. Did you have a, a method or like a, a, you know, a structured way for actually going to them and, and asking them that specifically? I think they call them like quality circles or something in manufacturing. But did you sort of regularly go and say, hey, what are we doing here that we can improve on? Or was that just like a continuous process for you guys? We did for a little while have a process like that where we had our monthly catch-ups. And in that monthly catch-up, our goal was to work on a particular area of the business together. But that was where we solved the problem of the, the documentation. And then that's where we also solved the problem of, of what our big checklist should be. But we didn't have anything formal around how we, we actually approached them like a, like, like, what do you call it, a process circle or Quality circle, or whatever. yeah. Okay. Quality circle. We didn't actually have it to that kind of level. We were only a team of, of nine, so we were pretty small. Okay. Um, and how long, like after you started the business, did you start implementing these these, these SOPs? Like, was there a point when you think, like, okay, we have to do it now, or, or, or how do you sort of make that decision? Too long is the answer. I should have started it right from the beginning, but it kind of, sort of, you get to this point where my fingers were sort of in too many pies, and I could see that looking at it from an objective level, and too many people were having to come to me for input. And that was the sort of impetus for me to go, okay, we've got to change things around. We can't keep going the way we're going because if we scale any faster or any bigger, I'm going to be working, I'm going to have be like an octopus with fingers and arms going left, right and center. And so that was the sort of changing point then. And that was probably when we're about five staff, I think is when we started to to get that kind of thing happening. And also when I realized I like if I want to step away or even if I wanted to go on a holiday on the business, I had to get some of these basic things out of my head and into into the system and into the hands of my staff and my team. I think there's also a a real danger there in, I mean, you mentioned you're already like pretty busy at that point. I think had you not perhaps started that process then and, you know, it had gone on for another couple of years and you'd grown and gotten more and more busy, you you might've gotten to that point where you just didn't have time to sort of step away and dedicate to actually creating the SOP. So it's kind of like you don't have enough time to free up your own time. If that makes sense? Correct. Um, Yeah, absolutely. The sooner you start, the better. But one of the things on that particular note that we were pretty heavy on is our guys were always already busy. Like we were a pretty busy shop or a busy business. We had lots of problems that we were dealing with all day, every day. So it was even hard for our guys to find the time when we got started doing it. The way we approached that was 
literally all we want you to do at the end of every issue or at the end of everything that you're working on is literally spend two to three to four minutes. And that's it. Don't go and spend 10, 20, 30 minutes, just two to three to four minutes. And if you can just document three steps this time around, that's enough. And then jump on to the next task. But then the next time you go through it, add another three steps. And don't and really, really, really bite the tiniest chunks you possibly can of the elephant because it was an enormous elephant to try and bite into. And so just chunking it down as small as we possibly could and letting the guys know that we really wanted them to just try and find that extra two to three minutes because you can always find two to three minutes, right? But you can't sometimes find half an hour or an hour. And so just that two to three minutes, go in and just create three steps that you did in this process. And that's it. So after every ticket that your team solved, they would actually go and then do that sort of process improvement or process creation or SOP. Not, not 100% of the time, but that was the goal. Like it was probably a 50, 60% again kind of thing. And 50, 60% was enough to get us to where we got to. Okay. And do you think that that would work equally as well in a business, let's say, where they, they had much fewer sort of variance in the, the kind of problems you're solving. I'm just thinking, for example, like our kind of business is like creating content, building links, you know, doing a few bit technical things, site things here here yep. and there. But it's probably a lot less diverse. I imagine you guys yep. have like lots of lots of problems. Like in our kind of business, would you still have them kind of constantly improve the process after, you know, every article that's written kind of thing? No, you probably like you get to a certain point where you don't need to anymore. And so it just comes down to you've got to get it across to you guys, you don't have to improve something if there's nothing to improve in there, but just have it in that in your head that if you can, and if there's an opportunity to go and take it. And so in a business like yours, which is probably a lot less, there's a lot less SOPs that you would have in your business. You're going to, after a couple of months, get to the point where you probably don't need to do as much in it to keep going. You don't need to go and improve things all the time because you're sort of at this, this crazy good point. However, like you look at, is it Toyota that came out with the original Kaizen theory. It's one of the, yeah, one of I the, think, I think it was, the companies. Yeah. And they, forever, there was this continual incremental improvement forever. And I kind of feel that that still can exist in any business, no matter, even if you've only got 10 processes in your business. Over time, there's still always a way that you can improve something. It might be a an extra onboarding step when you onboard a new client or whatever it is. It might be just something small every week. But if you just still continually improve and continually improve just little bits here and there in any business size, I think it's, it's still highly important. And it's still, you look at all that, those little continual improvements over a one, two, three year period and it really compounds into some amazing changes. Just before we move on, I want to talk about something else real quick. We've covered a lot of advanced stuff here today, but if you're still a beginner or waiting to get started with your authority site, I have something that you'll want to see. We've created a free training webinar where Perrin from Authority Hacker shows you exactly how he built a six-figure authority site in under two years. So if you want to get the exact tactics and system he used, please check out our free training webinar. You can get in right now by going over to authorityhacker.com forward slash tactics. Yeah, I used to play a lot of like online video games. And I don't know if you sort of dabble in, in, in those, but I know a lot of our listeners <laughs> are, are big gamers. But in sort of competitive games, it's not really like a different strategy or something like fundamental that, that separates you. I mean, everyone's kind of using the same equipment and doing the same maneuvers or whatever. It's those extra like 0.5% improvement in, you know, the direction you face or the, the right. Yeah. Like those things, when you're constantly looking for ways to improve them, they just add up over time. And that's what separates like Correct. amazing companies in this case from absolutely kind of average yeah. ones you know absolutely you can always improve something in there to make a better experience for your clients or a better workplace for your staff there's always something to improve so am i right in in remembering that you actually sold that company fairly recently right we did yeah we sold that 2016 
Okay, and how, if at all, do you think the SOPs that were created and the sort of culture in there affected the the ability to sell and and, and even the sales price? Was that like a notable thing in your due due, yes. uh, due diligence or? Correct. Yeah, it made it much easier to sell because um, we had we like it was more of a an asset than just a high paying job for myself and my business partner. As well as it was much easier for us to not have to be involved after, which meant the new people that took over were able to jump into it pretty easily and take it over without having to rely on myself and my business partner to be around. Yeah, I think that's that's quite a big issue that's quite common, especially with like website sales as well. Web businesses, like a lot of when you actually sell a website, the new owner quite often will require you to sort of be involved in the day to day operations and you know commit a certain amount of time, often for you know up to six months even not that uncommon so i think by having the sops there you can kind of all your knowledge is already there because in that period that's kind of what they would be looking to to kind of get out of your brain anyway so you can correct kind of, yeah. uh, avoid that that our industry we've um it's typically a 12 to 24 month what's called a transition period or a workout period where you've got to work in the business for the new owners and because of the way that we'd sort of got out to the point where we weren't working in the business that much and it didn't require us to work in the day-to-day of it I can't get into specifics because it's NDA, but we had an extremely, like it was nowhere near our industry standard. Sure, sure. Uh, what we had in the crossover. And that's what, what helps in a, a particular sale like that is, is having, if you're getting to sale point, having things documented and systemized, you're not selling you, you're selling the business. And the business is made up of your staff and your people and the, the processes in there. Okay, cool. So I want to finish up by just doing a, a quick sort of practical exercise if we can. So um, I want to take the example of you have a, a new hire or a new person coming into, let's say, your customer support team. How would you create an SOP which sort of manages or which defines that process? So I, I presume there would be things to do, like creating a new email address, setting them up on your yep. your Slack. Like, like talk us through what that whole SOP might look like and how it would be broken down section by section. Ooh, good question. The first thing, and with SOPs, when you've got a process like that coming into the business, you've got to make sure that there's one person that's going to be leading that, that's ultimately responsible for it. Because there might be three or four different people that need to be involved in the process of onboarding a team member. Your accounts person needs to go and do this, and your service manager needs to go and do that and whatever. And you as the CEO need to call them and, and personally invite them in or welcome them in or whatever. So to manage that, you need to either have one person that's involved with that, like leading the process from the top of it, or you need to have a system that allows you to easily hand off from one person to the next seamlessly so that everyone knows exactly where in the process you're up to. Um, and things like like base camps and all of those sort of checklisting tools nowadays allow you to, to hand off a process from one person to the next where they're up to. But my first point would be that is figuring out who is leading that process. And then that person then breaks down as to, okay, well, we've got to get their payroll set up. So it's got to go across to a payroll person to go on and document or go through their processes to getting them inside the systems and whatever. And in our business, it was our operations person. Uh, sorry, we actually did hire one other person during that time that was was in our in Manila. And so the operations person that did come into the business helped onboard that particular person. And so she looked after the process for making sure that they were set up in the systems and pays were sorted out properly and whatnot. But ultimately, it's it's hard to answer that question in a, a better way than saying like you've got to figure out who's ultimately responsible for it and make sure that they're leading the way the whole way through it in terms of all the little individual tactical things that you can put in there like we had things like when we we hired people in our service delivery team our service manager hired the last couple of people and i had a, a step in there where i jumped on the phone and had a quick welcome call with them um, just to say hey welcome to the company i'm nigel you can call me whenever you want like i'm i'm a 
got an open door policy here and so, so we had little so steps that, in it. that uh that bullet point i guess it would be in the in the sop where where there was a welcome call with you what would that actually say would that say nigel to set up a welcome call with new hire just something like that yeah, in our, more the way we had ours set up now the way we had ours set up was that that would have to be in the service managers so our service manager onboarded those technical guys that we hired and so that would have to be a step in his that says, go and ask Nigel to go and, um, and onboard them or go and assign a task to Nigel or whatever to go and, and give them the personal call. Like if we were using a more feature-rich system, like some of the, the more, I think there's things like Process Street and Clever Checklist and those sort of ones nowadays that allow you to offhand your checklists between people, then we could have easily managed it just within the, the actual task definitions themselves that this one is assigned by a CEO and this one automatically gets assigned to service manager and this step automatically gets assigned to operations manager. And if we were to go and do it again, if we were to start again, we would start we would start from day dot using one of those systems instead of what we had and we'd manage it that way rather than have it as something inside the task itself. Mm-hmm. It would be that that task is managed by this person. Okay. And is there any kind of like success criteria or, you know, this is what successful outcome looks like kind of defined within, within an SOP? Ultimately, it comes down to it's got to be easy for your staff to use and follow because if they can't use it and follow it, then they're not going to follow it and they're going to make up their own thing. So the biggest success criteria is usability, is like engagement of them, especially in our business when it's a it's pretty high moving, and I, I guess it probably happens in all businesses as well. It's pretty fast moving, and so sometimes you just got to go, okay, let's go and do it, and you get it done, and then you go, oh, we actually had a process for that. But if you can make it so that it's that easy that they don't have to go searching through mountains of Word documents or whatever to find the process, if they can find the process within five seconds kind of thing, and they use it and they follow it, that's kind of the, the ultimate success variable, right, in that they're, they're actually using what it's they're intended to do, to be for. Okay, great. So just to sort of summarize then, uh, sorry, is there anything else you wanted to add to that uh, about the uh, no, SOP? I think that's it. For us, when we were coming up with a system, ultimately it had to be usable by us. It had to be friendly for us because we're the ones that are going to be using it all day, every day, like the team. And so the ultimate success criteria was getting something that's usable for us and that we aren't going to go, oh, it's stuck in a Word document seven levels deep that mm-hmm. I've got to try and open up five Word documents to find it. We had a very little simple search function up in the top right, and we had a very easy to understand structure for where everything was. So it was typically easy to find an SOP within 10 to 20 seconds at most. That was ultimately that. And updating an SOP had to be super, super easy. We, you had to be able to go and create and edit one within minutes, not within 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes. I wanted them to be able to create them within two minutes if we could. Did you have any kind of naming guidelines or, or, or way you did it in order to, to make it easy to search? Yeah, one of our guys, the, one of the, the main guys who ca- helped structure the whole thing, he um he came up with some tagging conventions that he used in there. But typically, and, and those tagging conventions worked fairly well, but typically it was easier for us to see stuff in the structure that we had it. So we just drill down into the right area and we'd find it. And it was only, we were only at the maximum three layers deep. And so we'd go, okay, well, this is a, for instance, a, how do we receive a check? Click on accounts click on accounts receivable, click on the one that says how to receive a check. So it's sort of only three clicks away from anything. Okay, great. I, I think that's actually quite similar to how a lot of sort of authority site uh, owners would uh, w- would categorize their, their blog. You know, we it's quite a difficult thing to kind of think of like categorizing things because they can sort of fall into different, different sections. Yeah. So it's probably quite 
quite a similar process there. But that's cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a really good book called to help you categorize the different areas of your business and what falls under each one called oh, what's it called? It's either Rocket Fuel or Traction by Gino Whitman. Mm-hmm. And they go into the, the three or four different areas of your business and what makes up each one. If you're trying to figure out how to categorize your business and how things should break down, that book really, really helps. Awesome. And we'll actually link to those in the, the show notes. That'll be available at uh, authorityhacker.com forward slash SOP if anyone wants to, to get any of the resources or, uh, or books that, that Nigel's mentioned today. Okay. So that's all the questions I had. Is there anything which I haven't asked you, which I should have asked you? Good question. I don't think so. I think that was some extremely good questions. So you either had them pre-prepared or you're um you're a very talented interviewer. I, so I one of the two. Appreciate the feedback. I, I actually <laughs> listened to a podcast two or three weeks ago about preparing for podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I, for, I forget the guy's name. I think it was Jordan there you go. something. It, um, yeah, I'll, I'll try and put a link to that in this, the show notes if anyone's yeah. interested as well. But uh, that's, that's I good. Think my good my encouragement, I guess, for people, to finish up my encouragement for the people is to just get started, figure out a simple way to do it, get started, and get your team solving the problem with you. They're my, my biggest things. And make it a tiny thing. Don't make it – make it part of your culture. Make it small and make it this continual improvement kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And and from my somewhat more limited experience, I, I would say that just actually doing it in an imperfect way is better than kind of agonizing about how to do it the best way and never never actually getting it done. Correct. Um, Something's better than nothing, right? If even if you got five steps in there, and it means that you you don't forget one of those steps one time down the track, that's still better than than nothing. Excellent. All right, Nigel. Well, thanks very much for coming on the the show today. As I said, the show notes and all the the details will be available at authorityacker.com forward slash SOP. But if people want to get in touch with you directly, do you have a site or some contact info you can share? The the easiest way to get in touch with me is through nigel.me. That's my my website. No.com or anything, just nigel.me. That's a a cool URL. How did you get hold of that? That's an easy. Uh, I had to buy it actually. It was a um, a, someone else had purchased it, and I thought that's an easy way for instead of having the whole big NigelMoore.com that I'd been trying to buy for years off the guy that would never sell it because he was also a NigelMoore.com. Yeah, I um, I went out and saw that that one was available, so I went and grabbed it. I think Um, both of us have that problem in that our names are relatively common, so the .com (laughs) is going to be expensive. Someone wanted, I think. Twenty-seven grand for MarkWebster.com at one point, wow. and definitely oh, yeah, not, yeah. definitely well above my uh, my budget <laughs> for that one. Well, this one cost me five hundred bucks. That was it. Someone oh, owned brilliant. it already, but five hundred bucks is all it cost me. Brilliant. Uh, okay. Well, uh, once again, Nigel Moore, thanks very much for coming on. Really appreciate that. I, I definitely learned a lot today, and I'm keen to get stuck into the the SOP business myself in, in the not too distant future. Perfect. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.